0: Welcome to Yapo Live, featuring conversations with top D2C leaders. On September 12th at Yapo's conference, Destination D2C, Maria Moland, CEO at Thinks, sat down with Lauren Thomas of CNBC to share insider tips, industry
1: trends, and much more. Thank you so much to everyone who came out, got up this morning. It's good to be inside um, on a muggy day. Uh, So we'll jump right into things. Obviously, I'm uh, Lauren Thomas, cover retail for CNBC, uh, joined here with Maria Mond, uh, CEO of Thinks. And and if you want to give, as some of you might not know uh, what Thinks is, um, so if you want to give just a quick blurb about the product.
0: So, Thinx is a, a product that's disrupting the feminine hygiene space. We have underwear that looks and feels like regular underwear, but it has technology built inside that replaces tampons, pads. And we have a separate brand actually called Speaks by Thinx that is a similar product, but it replaces panty liners and adult da- diapers for incontinence. Yeah.
1: and I think this space is so fascinating and you know there are many others maybe trying to copy what you've done uh, what you come, came out in because uh, the business was started in 2014 I think that was yes. when it was launched yep but you're kind of in a unique position. Uh, you are not the founder of Thinks. Came in as CEO in July of 2017 um, And the company. I don't know how many of you have followed the story of Thinks. Um, you know, but there it's been a bit of a roller coaster up and down. Um, other CEO was ousted, and I know they were looking for someone else to come in and kind of you know reimagine the business, and that ended up being you. Um, so wanted to ask. I mean, when you looked at Thinks and you were considering taking this job, and you know just knowing knowing what you knew about the business, um, why did you decide to ultimately do it and join that, you know, join the company as CEO?
0: So I've been in tech my whole career, so kind of 22 plus years. And, you know, I'd worked for big companies. I'd worked for some smaller companies. And I always found myself uh, loving the business, but I never really truly loved the product. I didn't have that personal connection to it. And uh, about, Five years ago, I went through about two years, um, eight different rounds of IVF uh, to have my first daughter. And in the process, I talked a lot to my doctors around why are we seeing infertility rates rise even at younger ages. And the doctors—I mean, this isn't—you know—there's not a lot of data to completely support this, but they are very concerned about the levels of toxins in tampons and in pads. And that, you know, so you see the rise of a lot of organic tampons and so on as a result of this as well. And you know, I kind of—I felt that I wanted to be part of a business, whether or not I was CEO or not, um, that was changing lives for the better around reproductive health for women. And around the same time, a friend of mine from London actually gifted me a pair of things. And I just, I love the product, and it's so mapped to a lot of those um, concerns that I had that uh, I put, the, put on a list of actually 10 companies that I was interested in working for. And strangely, two days after I gave birth to my daughter in December of 2016, the board of things reached out to me, um, wanting to know if I was interested in the CEO role. So, just I feel very lucky. I very much found something that I'm very passionate about, um, and is a business also that is you know doing incredibly well. And um, so it kind of is able to mix the business side as well as the personal side.
1: And I think one unique thing about the board when they reached out wasn't it, it was all men. Right at the time, as all, they were men. all yes. men on the board. Yes. So how did you feel? I mean, obviously they were looking for a woman now to come in, which I feel like the business really needed uh, that perspective. Um, but was that? I mean, did you think like, oh no, like this is just asking for trouble? Like why, you know? Or did you look at it as more yeah. like, oh, this is a great opportunity for me to really go in and and shake things up?
0: I think I, I for the most part thought of it as a great opportunity because I had obviously looked at a lot of financials. Um, yeah ahead of time as well. And they were very strong. And in fact, I even asked the board, I was like, are you sure these have been, they've been audited? I wasn't, I was like <laughs> literally skeptical. Yeah, sure. And then uh, I met the team. And to me, a lot of joining a company is about, you know, the team, the collaborative nature of how we're going to be able to get things done. You can have the best product and the best strategy, but if you don't have the best team. So I just, I love them. They're so passionate and they still are. And um, I think I had, some reservations, I'll tell one story which kind of ties to being a woman and being a CEO, is that late in the process, one of the board members told me that, listen, we really love you. You're the, we think you're the strongest candidate, but you have a four-month-old mm-hmm. and we're a little concerned that you're going to be able to be a CEO with a four-month-old. Mm-hmm. And that was like shocking to me, first of all, because obviously this is a women-owned yeah. brand, and our products are for women. Yeah. But you know, I kind of collected myself and said, you know, it, in some respects, it kind of made me feel like I'm going to do this for sure, sure and I'm going to tell yeah. you, like, I can completely do this, even with a four-month-old. Yeah. So that was probably the only thing that made me to think, huh? Like, mm-hmm. being this board that of all men probably don't
1: get like how women are badass and we can actually interview at all. Yeah, no, I, love, I love that. Um, so I wanted to pivot a little bit into marketing because I feel like you are selling a product that requires a bit more education than like, you know, a piece of luggage or a mattress, right? And so I feel like uh, in your, you know, advertising or marketing campaigns, you've, I mean, you have to include kind of that educational component and has that been difficult or just how do you, you know, how do you educate consumers? Maybe they don't even realize they could use this in the first place, um, but that it's available to them if they want it. Yeah, it's definitely our biggest challenge. So uh,
0: a lot of you probably know this, but we are really changing behavior. And I've, we've been going through the fundraise process, and I had one investor tell me something like, you always want to build the fastest car on a highway that's already been built. You don't want to be building the highway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And thinks is kind of building the highway because sure. people um, have been using tampons and pads for century and a half. And... You know this has been passed down from gra- great grandparents great grandparents right. mothers yeah and to change that cycle is definitely challenging mm-hmm. um so the way we've approached it is first we just have to let people know that we exist right, right? The, the category exists we also have, Absolutely. Um, yeah. we have an increasing number of competitors which actually I look as a good thing because it's good brought, it's bringing more awareness to the category but we are the largest one so a lot of it's on our you know on our shoulders to make sure that people know that the category exists and so how we know the ca- how we get people to know the category exists and that we exist is by using images and language that are so, you know, to some, I, I would say they're called edgy. Yeah. Um. I don't well, like to say shock and yeah. awe. I think edgy. at
1: one point, and I don't know if you were CEO at the time, but I know when they were trying to do the big subway ad campaign, there was like some dispute with the MTA over some of your ads even being allowed on the subways. So. Yeah. We were one yeah. of they were one
0: of the first brands. Yeah. Now, now you see a lot of edgy oh, stuff anything. on the subway yeah, at this point. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that was that was definitely on purpose. It's like, how do you know? How do you get people to say? listen, I know what that brand is. I know what they represent. And hey, you know, the point is not to do shock and awe. The point is to um, get people to really think about the fact that periods and incontinence, which one in three women suffer from, should not be taboo to talk about. It's totally natural. Everyone here is here because a woman had a period. And <laughs> to, true. to say that, it, this is uncomfortable to talk about, is just um, kind of obscene. Yeah. And so, you know, our goal is not to, it's, it's to get people to say that is something we should be willing to talk about and also to put some humor in it because yeah. it's a it's somewhat serious topic um, and we want to make sure it's somewhat lighthearted. So it's that kind of delicate balance of the two. Totally. Uh, yeah. And then we you choose. To get back to your question, Mm -hmm. we choose channels and mediums where you can tell both the emotional story, um, but you also have this ability to tell a functional story. Right. So, you know, how the product works, how to wash it. So mediums that really work well for that are the Subway actually, because you can take out an entire, you know, train car yeah. and you could tell the story yeah. um, and you can explain how to wash it.
1: But one question, because I feel like that the, maybe one issue with the Subway ads is how do you, how are you able to track actually like the action that someone that sees that ad takes off of that, you know, like you can't tell if someone sees it and then goes to make a purchase. So basically tracking ROI, I feel like is much more difficult. Yeah. But it's still valuable. I guess to have it. It is still
0: valuable. So when we first did the Subway campaign, it was like October of 2015. We were a really tiny company and I don't think we tracked anything at that time. (laughs) Um, Now we we have a BI group and we spend a lot of time on attribution analysis. Uh, We've done a lot more offline type of uh, marketing and we're venturing into more um, kind of in the coming months. And what we do is a mix of traffic. Mm -hmm. Uh, We also now can look at mobile traffic in the particular where that subway line is. So you can actually see how many people are interacting with the brand. So whether it's your social channels or whether it's your website. Um, And then we do brand trackers. So we have every three months we put out a survey Mm -hmm. to a wide array of people kind of across the country, and we see where people actually heard about our brand, um, whether or not it's um,
1: aided or unaided. Okay, and then uh, while we're on the topic of marketing, Facebook, of course there's, you know, the idea that Facebook ad prices have increased, so the cost to acquire customers on that channel continues to grow up, but I know you all continue, and I think or maybe even spending more money there. Is that true? How have you, do you look at that platform differently today than maybe you did when you were just getting started? Yes.
0: So it has gone up significantly and, we still continue to spend more money with Facebook, but it becomes a larger, or sorry, it becomes a smaller percentage of our overall spend. Okay. Uh, and that I think is not only because it's become more expensive, it's also, I don't think it makes a lot of sense, no matter what type of business you're in, to put all your eggs in one basket. Sure. And so yeah. we were we were really overly dependent on Facebook when I came to the business.
1: Okay. So yeah. we've really
0: diversified into other channels. Yeah.
1: Um, so let's pivot a little bit and talk about product expansion. Because um, I feel like in the direct, comm- and direct to consumer space, um, you see a lot of brands start with one core product and they grow with that for a while. And then maybe you, you hit a wall or you reach a point where are like, okay, if we wanna keep growing, we need more. Um, and I know you all have continued to innovate. Um, recently, I think we were talking backstage, you launched a uh, brand uh, specific to kind of the in-between, like teen, tween uh, girl, which I think is so smart, um, having sisters in middle school. Uh, I think there's a huge market for that, but you've also launched, you have like running shorts now that have this material built in. Um, So how are you thinking about product expansion and kind of growing beyond that core, you know, underwear, brief, whatever you started with? Yeah.
0: So first of all, we tend to stay um, really focused on things directly related to periods. So mostly the underwear and we are the reason we do that is because first of all the feminine hygiene category is a 30 billion dollar business globally so there's a lot of opportunity just to replace tampons and and pads and we also are in a business going back to the earlier point where we're completely changing behavior and i've found some of our competitors have moved into bras and you know other things that are le- you know kind of tangential to the underwear and my personal perspective is that um, we want to maintain our focus on the underwear because there's it gets confusing to people they already have a lot of questions about how the product works and if you start going like into lots of different categories they're like what do you really stand for and what does the technology really do Mm -hmm. so we have been innovating around the underwear for the most part and so we've gone into we in july we launched what's called think super Mm -hmm. which is holds up to four tampons worth of blood and prior to that we were two tampons so now we can legitimately say for pretty much everyone out there That we are a complete replacement to pads and tampons, so you know that's one piece. And then we we have added um, things between, which is that was in um, a couple years ago for young girls, eight to twelve. And then we have Speaks by Things, which is our incontinence line. And then we've added, about two years ago, we literally only sold black and beige underwear. I called it like the Ford model. <laughs> and we've added much more of a fashion component. So we have a lot more colors. We launched our first print actually on Tuesday, Clio, which is wow. um, yeah. kind of a leopard print. And so we're kind of we're we're moving to to like how do we get people to kind of restock their underwear drawers so you know they're not just buying two pairs they're buying eight pairs mm-hmm. and it's a bit more of a fashion collab.
1: Was the shorts thing then is that more of a test would you say because I thought that was really interesting?
0: So we did that more about apparel. two years ago. Okay. It was a test. Um, we we are starting to work on an um, iteration of that right. test. Fair. Uh, yeah. We will move into more athletic wear uh, as my in i think late next year yeah. um the shorts has performed well it is it's a great product yeah. i think the price point is a little high okay. so we need to figure out how to sure how work to decrease on that. A bit. yeah yeah
1: no, makes sense um so to talk a little bit about your retail strategy because uh, i find it really interesting obviously direct to consumer you do most of your business online on your website um but you sell in some nordstrom stores today um, also there was a t- small test I believe you did with beta where you went into some beta locations. If you are familiar with beta, beta is kind of this space for brands to rotate in and out of, and a lot of it's tech, but obviously you're tech. Mm-hmm. Um, so h- how have you thought about that and your wholesale partnerships in particular? I mean, is that an area where you think you can grow or do you really want to stay focused more on, you know, your website and maybe building out even your own storefronts? Yeah.
0: So the way we think of wholesale is, you know, first going back to the behavior change, a lot of women and girls want to touch and feel the product um, prior to purchasing, and they kind of believe oh, it's some fly-by-night company that sells on Facebook and it looks great online, but it's going to show up and you know not look that great. So that's kind of was one of the original intents as to why we wanted to go into wholesale. Um, they also wanted to talk to a salesperson who could answer a lot of their questions. So you know, training is a big part of what we do um, with the wholesalers, and then the next part is really third-party validation. Mm-hmm. So having a Nordstrom or a Selfridges or a David Jones mm-hmm. in Australia, we have we have over a hundred retailers at this mm-hmm. point. Um, they give this kind of a stamp of approval. We actually use it in a lot of our marketing, our direct mail. We'll put like, as seen in Nordstrom, mm-hmm. and so you know that plays a role as well. Mm-hmm. We did. I mean, we're in a business that. It makes it a little harder to get those wholesalers um, ready to On take board. us. Yeah. And uh, you yeah, know, our first experience was in Selfridges about a year and a half ago, and we kind of went through the back door. We used this like incubator huh. that worked with Selfridges that happened to be in the ground floor that did all tech innovation, and I don't think Selfridges. I, well, I don't think they like they definitely did not know what we did. And I walked through the store the night before the launch and they were actually taking down our display and I overheard them saying like there's period it says period proof underwear we can't use the word period on the display and so I had they actually did take down the display but our consumers going to your earlier question they ended up um, coming to the store they had seen the press yeah. and demanded the product well, is it London it.
1: like your second biggest it's the markers? third it's the third One of biggest your biggest markets after country, New yeah. York City New York City I think is is that
0: New York City LA San Francisco okay. Dallas um, were we're pretty actually surprisingly we, we were we've been going through the fundraise process and one of the investors looked at our customer profile and I guess I, I kind of always thought we were pretty strong on the coast we have a really broad base customer base that is really across the U.S. I mean I think we're very much a CPG company and you know all all women have their periods, sure, or, so they're going to need the product. So, yeah. we, you know, we, ch- we tend to be much, much more yeah. diverse than you think. Sure.
1: What about Amazon as a sales channel? How do you think of Amazon? Because I thought, you know, I did a Google search. I thought I saw some of your brands sell yeah. on Amazon. Yeah. So. so I view Amazon
0: as this great mm. brand awareness channel. And so we do sell uh, two of our brands, Thinks Between and Speaks by Thinks on Amazon, and we choose select styles and colors to put on Amazon. And so it's somewhat of a revenue driver, but it's actually more about getting people introduced to the brand. And then they say, oh, I wonder if they have more colors than, you know, uh, blue and black, and they'll come to our site. And we've seen that. Okay.
1: And how did you pick and choose what you ultimately were going to sell? On Amazon, or was that just more?
0: It was to, a combination of things we wanted to move, yeah. uh, In terms of the inventory, and especially now that we have seasonal colors, um, as well as one kind of product that does very well. So okay. we combo a combo of both. And same
1: price point. You didn't same change price that point. at all. Yeah. Okay. And then what, we didn't speak much to you know your own stores and kind of how you think about that strategy because I know you've tested some pop up shops in the past. But looking toward the future, do you think that's something that you want to do more of? Was that successful?
0: It has been successful. Uh, we I don't think we are ready to like say we're going to have a, a store that is you know long lasting at this point, but I think testing out pop ups has been successful for us thus far, and we will continue to do it. We are doing a pop up in a second pop up in New York, a long term pop up that starts um, mid October for. Uh, for three months um, in Soho and we're actually doing a two-week pop-up in Sydney this year as well which we did last year and was super successful. It paid back by like two
1: times. Yeah and when you say it paid back I mean I feel like when I speak to brands about their pop-ups the biggest success I mean when you do that activation online sales in that area tend to go up I mean is that something you all see as well? Yeah
0: although I mentioned the two times that was actually just the money that was made in the store.
1: Oh wow! Yeah. Okay. So
0: yeah, but yeah, that was off. that's upside. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Um, I guess to kind of summarize, you know, a lot of what we talked about, and just look at this through a more forward-thinking lens. As you think about, you know, the, just the biggest opportunity for you all as a brand on the next five-year horizon. I know, like you said, you're fundraising right now, so I'm sure that's a big focus, and with that will come a lot of growth. But you know, internally, what do you think you all are, are most focused on at this? Yeah. Point? So I look at our competitive moat in kind of three buckets.
0: Um, the first is brand and marketing third-party validation. And as much as I mentioned some of the subway campaigns and so on, it, the reality is most of our dollars have been on paid social. And so as part of the fundraise, we hope to be able to reallocate even more of the spend than we already have to do more brand awareness and category awareness and really become um, much more known across the US and you know down the road, i.e. two-plus years um, globally and then second is in distribution and expanding our distribution relationships spending money supporting them um, and third-party validation Mm -hmm. we have a leaders program and what the leaders program is like kind of everyday women and girls that actually sell on our behalf and it's just we have one person working on it and it is crazy how successful it has been. So I'd love to be able to get that going because if you have a, in fact, kind of the way I was introduced to the product, I had a friend gift it to me. That is such a um, point where people say, oh, actually, if my friend is willing to try this, I should as well. And then the third is product innovation and brand partnerships kind of associated Mm -hmm. with product um, innovation. And we're continuing to um, innovate not only in the material science that goes into each pair of our underwear, but also expanding into
1: new areas. So swimwear, athletic wear. Um, swimwear, yeah. They can get us into new categories. Swimwear could be a big, big opportunity. Um, and I know we're wrapped up, about to wrap up on time, um, but if you could give, I know there are a lot of women in the audience and you, you know, being a mother of two, a two year old daughter right now and leading this company. I mean, any advice to women, you know, entrepreneurs or executives and just how you make it work? <laughs>
0: Um, I think my advice I don't you know I think it's more like I'm a, a single parent and it's that's probably the hardest part is like how do you um, as a, as most women want to do everything really well and I've found that you have to it's a give and take like sometimes I'll be doing really well at my job and sometimes i just don't feel like I'm very there with my daughter and then vice versa and I think you just have to let it go and be okay with who you are, and you can't be perfect all the time, and um, it's okay. It, it, it Just put one step in front of the other, and um, at the end of the day, if you just keep trying, and are thoughtful, and have the space to be able to be thoughtful in your life, um, ultimately,
1: you'll be successful. Sure. Well, I think that's time. Um, thank you so much, and thanks for having us. I appreciate it.